1: and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: This is an apostrophe podcast production.
3: Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. Photographer Ed Gold once drove 6,000 miles in 12 days from New York to Alaska. He's motorcycled to Australia's most remote community, a place known as Kira in Western Australia. Gold has taken the long, lonely journey on the Alaska Highway to Prophet River in northeastern British Columbia, located at Mile 233. In each of those places, and many others throughout his career, Gold, a photographer, spends months in some of the most isolated and loneliest places in the world. He arrives and offers to help do whatever is needed in these places. And in return, with his camera, he asks only that he be allowed to document how people live in places that are hard to get to and hard to leave. As a social documentary photographer, Ed Gold, who is originally from the UK, believes there is a lot everyone can learn about how people in isolation live. Usually the people who live in those places are surprised when he shows up. He has to make a huge effort to get to those places. His motorcycle only gets him so far. He's taken buses ferries, and propeller planes that land on tiny gravel airstrips. He travels on his own on these journeys, sometimes having to take a roundabout way to arrive at his destination. The reaction he gets from the people when he arrives at their destinations is usually surprise, and then shock, that he went so out of his way to get to there, there. He brings his own tent, and would rather live there than inside four walls. To Ed Gold, it's the ultimate freedom. He can strike out on his own anytime he wants, go to places far out of reach of the norms of society. Others have done so, so he knows their trail. Others have left their pack and struck out on the road to be on their own, traveling just a bit further than others have to reach places where few have dared to venture and set up their roots. In these isolated places, Ed Gold has found some universal truth. There are some people and some animals that prefer to be on their own to figure out for themselves what they can do when they choose to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. In the animal kingdom, there are lone wolves, animals who, for reasons of their own, break off from their families, their relatives, and even their own offspring in order to form their own new family of one. And when they strike out on their lonely journey, they leave behind tension and conflict with others who are part of their group. To find themselves on their own is for these lone wolves better than being part of a pack. To reach Discovery Island, off the southern coast of Vancouver Island in British Columbia, most people kayak or paddle. Discovery Island Marine Provincial Park is located two nautical miles east of Victoria, and access is only by the waters. The nearest boat launch is located at a place called Caddo Point in Oak Bay. Despite the short distance, as the crow flies, the journey by water is treacherous. Strong currents and frequent winds create dangerous conditions, including riptides. Visitors are advised to make the journey only during slack tide in calm waters and to know they're heading to a place where there's no safe anchorage for boats and no moorage. Once you arrive at Discovery Island, the journey doesn't get safer or easier. The main access to the park from the waters is via the rock and reef-strown Rudland Bay, which is exposed to the elements from the Strait of Juan de Fuca and Harrow Strait. It's a tough climb, and no dogs or cats or animals are permitted in the park. But once on Discovery Island, you can see a sensitive seabird nesting area, seals, sea lions, otters, and bald eagles. A few years ago, you might have, if you were lucky enough, seen a lone wolf. How the wolf got to that remote island is unknown. It likely swam over. But once the wolf was spotted back in 2012, the debating began. Local authorities said there was no way the lone wolf could survive on its own on isolated Discovery Island. There's no prey like deer to hunt, no natural food sources, and no fresh water source. The lone wolf was so close to the city of Victoria that he posed a danger to humans, and it might be better off, some said for everyone if he was shot and taken away from his isolated spot. People around the area began looking for signs of the lone wolf. Cheryl Alexander wasn't looking for the wolf, but the wolf found her.
4: I would say he saw me first because wolves know people are around long before we know they're around. so i had been going out in the islands for a couple of years sporadically not every day but for a couple years before i actually saw him and i'm sure he saw me in those two years many many times i finally saw him when he was just swimming between one island and another and got out and just happened to glimpse back actually over my shoulder and saw oh my god i think there's the wolf
3: Alexander, a conservation environmentalist photographer and documentary filmmaker, knew there had been reports of a wolf living on the island.
4: Part of me didn't believe it because I had never actually seen any evidence. But it was a very interesting experience and he knew we were there and he immediately went back in behind the trees and, you know, began to howl. So, yeah, it was quite an experience, that first encounter.
3: Hearing the wolf's howl changed Alexander.
4: It wasn't even what went through my mind. It was what went through my body. It was a very elemental reaction that I, I had to it, very deep reaction, and it made me feel like crying. It was it was intensely emotional, and there was something in the timber of how he sounded, and they were very long, drawn-out out, out howls, sort of... You know, they just had an otherworldly quality to them that we don't often encounter. And yeah, it was very emotional.
3: If you live in an urban area like Cheryl Alexander, the howl of a wolf is a rare sound. Wolves howl as a communicative tool. They use it to connect with each other and to convey meaning to each other, like warnings. They howl to find each other over long distances. The people who have studied wolves describe a classic wolf howl as a lonely howl. The lonely howl is a howl that calls out to other wolves to say, I'm here, where are you? Alexandra began documenting the lone wolf on Discovery Island and began photographing him whenever she could and filming him so she could make a documentary about the wolf on the deserted, isolated island she gave the wolf his name, Takeya.
4: In Takeya's case, he howled all through the year. I would often hear him howl, but he howled a lot more during his breeding period. Wolves breed in winter usually for, they're ready for like sort of January, February would be their breeding period. And his howls during that period were much um, more frequent, longer, Uh, seemingly sounding, more longing, more wanting to attract, probably a partner.
3: For eight years, Takea was alone on Discovery Island, not just without his pack, but without any other animals around. There weren't any other living creatures in the territory that he had claimed as his own. No deer was around for the wolf to hunt. There may have been small mammals like mice, but on the island, there doesn't exist the kind of food source wolves usually eat. But there were seals. There were marine mammals like sea lions in the ocean surrounding Takea. They became his food source. Whales would swim past. There were birds and ducks, and sometimes Takea may have had crows and ravens for company. But think about being eight years on your own, half a lifetime. Wolves normally live for about 16 years. And Alexander says that's an extreme loneliness when she thinks of Takea's time on the island. Imagine this.
4: He, for eight years, did not have any touch of any kind. So he had nothing, no no other sentient being that he interacted with in in either a vocal way or in a touch, a sensual way. And wolves are very, very sensual. They touch each other all the time. They lay with each other. They lick each other. They fight each other. And he he never had that in the the
3: whole eight years. What drove Takeya to be so far away from his own pack to seek out that remote spot where he was by himself? Alexander had talked to experts, and they've described how wolves travel very far distances to the edge of their ecological niche. In Takea's case, he was very unusual, extreme. He was
4: pushing the limit, right? So he was out looking for his own territory, probably for his own mate, his own family. And when he arrived at these islands, I don't think he actually intended to stay to start with. Because he did, after a couple of months, he did swim onward out into the great of Juan de Fuca, <laughs> as if he was going to keep going.
3: But for uh, but this remarkable, extreme lone wolf, something happened when he tried to swim elsewhere. He attempted to leave, and in behavior not normally seen, Takea the wolf turned around and ended up back on territory that he was trying to leave.
4: He got, I think, frightened by a big fish boat bearing down on him and he ended up back on those islands. And I think he was a survivor. So he And he was also incredibly resilient and adaptable. And so he figured out how to look after himself, which is his first job, right, to survive. And he realized he had this territory that was his. And the only thing that wasn't there was a mate. So he stayed there. And I think he probably, during the whole eight years, probably expected that one day another wolf would come along or a mate would would join him.
3: No Howling. We'll be right back.
1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns.
4: We're social creatures, right? So we have a huge need for connection with our own kind. What it has taught me very strongly is that people also have a very deep longing for and intense need for connection with the world of wild animals, basically the non-human world. I was going to say the animal world, but we're animals. So (laughs) it's all the other animals out there.
3: Cheryl Alexander received hundreds of emails from people around the world after the story of Takeya emerged. Some of them were angry and questioned why didn't Alexander or others help the lone wolf find a mate? Shouldn't she have bought a female wolf with her when she went to photograph or film Takea for her documentary? That wasn't her place, Alexander believes. There was a reason why Takea was there on his own, and she could only observe, not interfere. Alexander used to help run wilderness programs for young offenders, outward-bound kind of programs, and there was always a three-day solo stay in the wilderness as a final test. The anticipation of that time weighed heavily on the participants as they worried about what would happen to them when they are on their own. There's always the concerns that run through their minds before and during What if they're afraid of the dark? What if wild animals come to them in the dark? What if they can't look after themselves for three days? They have to make their own shelter. They have to light their own fires to keep warm. There are three matches for them for each of those three days when they're out on their own. And it pushes their limits of comfort and allows them to understand they can actually tackle really hard things and succeed It builds their sense of self-esteem, and that's a lesson. Being alone in the wilderness, it allows us to build a confidence in ourselves that we don't always need to be surrounded by people and the hustle and bustle of an anonymous city or around only those we know. It's a life-changing experience for many, and it is a difficult time. Most of us do not break off from what we know in order to go and spend a large chunk of time alone. And when we do decide to do it, especially in a place like an unfamiliar territory, it is scary, but it does change how we see ourselves. It recently occurred to me that of all the species in the world, we're probably closest to dogs. Not genetically speaking, of course. That would be primates. But our dogs are the companions that are part of many of our lives. I've had dogs my entire life. I think I know how they behave, what motivates them. But I realized just now that I didn't know this. Are dogs wolves or are they coyotes? It never occurred to me to look it up. I just assumed they were all part of the same wolf-coyote-dog family. But in fact, wolves and coyotes are a separate species. They're cousins genetically. They came from the same tree of life. Wolves, Canis lupus. Coyotes, Canis latrans. They diverged as a species around 1.5 to 1.8 million years ago. And the dogs we know, from the Brazilian Mastiffs to the pugs, the Pomeranians, the Ruthie, that's my dog's name, she's a mutt, are known as Canis familiaris. Canis familiaris is a direct descendant of the grey wolf, Canis lupus, not coyotes. Dogs are domesticated wolves, They're smaller, have shorter muzzles and smaller teeth. Kibble is easier on teeth than tearing off flesh. From French dogs to Great Danes, different breeds only came about because of human intervention within the last 150 years or so. Canis familiaris, the dogs we know today, were domesticated from wolves and initially, most research traced the domestication of dogs around 12,000 to 15,000 years ago. But more recent genetic studies suggest dogs may have been co-mingling with others even much longer than originally thought, 130 years ago. That timeline is significant because it means Canis familiaris and Homo sapiens coexisted before human society settled down and began practicing agriculture, which didn't happen until about 15,000 to 10,000 years ago. That may mean that wolves began to adapt to human society long before humans settled down in one place to start communities. Not only are we closest to dogs, the species that is most likely to be part of our lives, But our social structure is very similar to the way a wolf family runs. Their social structure is more what we, humans, may recognize. They live in groups, usually with some kind of parents or guidance from older ones. And then the younger ones, they work together to help raise the even younger ones. It's convergent evolution to live in these family groups, with wolves and humans having similar packs.
2: And the opposite of that, of course, is the lone wolf, and it's, I think, it kind of sticks out as a term because wolves are really interesting to a lot of people, but it's not natural. They want to be in a family generally. That's not to say that we don't see lone wolves quite often, sometimes for what seems to be a long time in a wolf's life, maybe up to a year.
3: Kira Cassidy, a research associate for the Yellowstone Wolf Project in Yellowstone National Park, studies wolves. She sees what happens when a lone wolf splits from the pack.
2: Usually what happens when a wolf becomes a lone wolf eventually is that it was born into a pack and it reaches an age where it's kind of trying to make a decision. Am I going to live in this pack for a while and kind of balance the the costs or the benefits that are involved in staying or take the risk in leaving. And it is a big risk. You know, they have to hunt large prey. They have to move through the territories of other packs. And so it's generally better to stay with the pack.
3: But a pack can only grow so large. And as new pups come on, the older ones feel the pressure. Should I leave or should I not? And generally, it's a decision that they make on their own That's not to say there isn't some internal pressure. Just like humans, there are some people who get along well with others, and for wolves the same. Some of them are fine in their pack, while others there can develop what we recognize as a tense relationship. And if one of the people or wolves in the pack or family structure are seen as the leader, the more subordinate one might choose to leave and take on the life of being a lone wolf. Coyotes live in packs of groups of only about two or three. They don't need to live in larger packs because they don't need to be part of a bigger pack in order to hunt the mice and voles they eat. But wolves need to be in larger packs. They hunt ungulates, the elk, and deer. And in Yellowstone, wolf packs are usually around 10 or so in a pack, but can be as large as 20. When wolves take off on their own, they will sometimes meet up with an unrelated wolf and try to start their own pack, or meet up with a different pack and try to fit in there. Usually, they're looking for breeding opportunities, which happen in the wintertime leading up to the February breeding season. Cassidy uses radio callers to track wolves and figure out how big the packs are and whether any of them are having pups. One female wolf had broken away from her pack and went off on her own. She's been by herself since January of 2021.
2: You know, if a pack hasn't seen their packmate for a couple of months, it can be a little bit tense at first because it doesn't seem like they recognize them right away, at least from a distance, and then... As that old pack mate comes in, usually very submissively, kind of trying to say, hey, I'm not a threat here. Do you remember me, please? They'll run up and then start greeting it, and everybody is usually very excited. And sometimes they'll just stay with that pack then for the rest of their life.
3: Wolves are born into a pack, and throughout the early part of their lives, they are being tested by others. And when that happens, they begin to ask the question— Should they stay or should they try to fit in elsewhere? It's a good lesson that we can all learn from. every new community he goes to, Ed Gold, the social documentary photographer, learns that in many ways, everyone is just the same. You never want to show you're better than anyone else, or you're below anybody else. We're all, whether we live on our own in some of the most remote places on Earth, or not, just trying to understand how we fit in with everyone else. Or we figured out we're not in the place where we thought we fit in. Some people, like Ed, and the people in isolated communities he photographed, choose to live on their own. For them, it's not about seeking solitude, but finding a place for themselves that makes sense. And for them, it's being away from others. A lone wolf doesn't fit in with a pack. A lone wolf is a strong and powerful wolf who wants to go off on their own and seek their own territory and that the others stay in the family pack. Takea lived on his own, and Cheryl Alexander and others wondered what it is that they could learn from a lone wolf. What they learned was that even a lone wolf can make peace with his world and his life. And there is a sad ending to Takea's life. He made his way across the waters to Victoria in 2020. After eight years of living on his own, likely in search of food. It was during the early days of the pandemic, and Takea was probably known as being the biggest isolationist in the world, Alexander said, and he provided hope to many during those early months that we could survive alone and isolated on our own. In January of 2020, Takea was trapped by city officials and relocated 50 miles away from the city, Three months later, Takea was shot and killed by a hunter. They knew it was the lone wolf because he had been tagged. Thousands of people rode in from around the world after the loneliest wolf, as some called him, was killed. Everyone wanted a fairy tale ending to his story, Alexander says. As humans, we want that for ourselves. We long for a connection a deep connection with another human being, whoever that may be, our mate, our soulmate, and we feel probably desperately sad thinking about a wild animal who somehow, for whatever reason, is unable to have that. But Takea was fine on his own, Cheryl Alexander believes. The lone wolf needs to leave their pack, and some come back after gaining experience hunting, eating, and sleeping on their own. Some don't, and that's okay too. Leaving the pack is an indication you're willing to be alone rather than try to fit in some place where you don't belong or feel unwanted or unwelcome. During the pandemic, Kira Cassidy continued to look for the wolves she tracks. She lost track for almost a year of the one female who had broken away from her pack and went off on her own in January. Cassidy wondered what happened. Had she met a mate? Did she have pups over the summer? She saw her again the day before our interview in late November. The lone wolf was still by herself. She had recently made a deer kill on her own, which was impressive. It's tough for a lone wolf to do that, And this wolf, Cassidy figured out, had been alone throughout the last year by herself. She could have joined up with another wolf by now, or another pack. But maybe, Cassidy realizes, she has the kind of personality that prefers to be on her own. And that also applies to humans. There are all different types of families, both in the animal kingdom and for us. Some of our family packs grow larger some shrink, and some lone wolves join new packs, and for others they stay on their own and are thriving as a lone wolf. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Sound engineer is Jeff Devine. The theme music by Ian LaFever and Ari Posner. Our producers are Allison Pinches and Guillermo Serrano. My name is Peg Fong. Follow us on social at apostrophe pod. Our executive producer is Terry O'Reilly.